Welcome to Season 6 of Camille's Demi Hour. I am your host, Camille Broderick, and this is Nantucket's NPR station 89.5 WNCK. This is a half-hour show dedicated to the Epicurean world here on Nantucket and beyond. On the show, I interview guests who will share their inspiring and thoughtful perspectives and how they are leading the charge in the ever-changing landscape of food, wine, agriculture, and hospitality. I hope this show broadens your view of this great world we live in and helps you to engage with your community and support your neighbor. Cheers and welcome to the table. Welcome back, everyone. The show is a continuation of my interview last week with Mr. Adam Platt, New York Magazine's food critic for over 20 years. We are continuing our conversation about the state of restaurants and the next food revolution. And today on the show, we have someone who is a true food believer. That means he's not only a professional glutton, but someone who has dined out more in his life than many others combined, and yet is still hungry for more. He is not a chef or a restaurateur, but he is the restaurant critic of the New York Magazine for over 20 years and has contributed to other great publications like The New Yorker and Condé Nast Traveler. He is someone who is resolute in his food quest, and I look forward to hearing this critic's opinion and perspective on the dining world and what the next revolution in food becomes. Welcome, Mr. Adam Platt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, my, it's my pleasure. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be on Nantucket, even though I'm not in Nantucket. <laughs> I love Nantucket. How can you not love Nantucket, right? How can you not? How can you not love Nantucket? <laughs> well, that's that's another thing. Since you've seen a lot happen under your watch, as you say, um, in the restaurant world, how things have evolved. You also do talk about how the restaurant critic almost has become an extinct profession in some ways, and that's a sort of undertone melancholy side in the book and how you're managing through this, but you are still very relatable and and, and talking about what's going on. But in the book, um, another great quote, you talk about how the digital age really changed what was going on. And as we all know, um, everyone has a voice now, but that narrative for the chef and how they're coming out um, of, of the kitchen, like you said earlier too, people are looking for more than just food on a t- on a plate. Quote, at that particular moment in the early aughts, the internet culture was having the same transformative effect on the restaurant industry that the coming of MTV had had on the music industry in the 1980s. As the medium grew, the appetite for story content exploded, going from a few stories and posts each week to dozens and then hundreds every day on all the competing sites, and each post would be replicated and repeated, echoing and expanding forever out into the exploding cyber universe in an endless 24-hour loop, <laughs> unquote. It's frightening. I mean, it's frightening. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that is, uh, you know, I was, I was there, I was talking about food, I, I, I I could have been talking about any in any uh, any newspaper, any 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 old style writer in the in the print print based culture that I grew up in. We quickly became dinosaurs, yeah. and so it just in terms. And I, I think I use a dinosaur metaphor in my book, maybe pro- probably too much, but literally in terms of turning out copy, what happened was that the metabolism speeded up. Everybody became thanks to think something like Yelp. Uh, social media is a, it's just a, it, it's a typhoon of enthusiasm, right? The original social media, the original um, internet food writers were enthusiasts and they still are. In New York, it was like people going out to find the perfect slice of pizza in Brooklyn or the perfect bowl of ramen in Queens. 
And so you have this, this, these gales of enthusiasm and the old plodding critic like me, the print critic who was used to sort of carefully writing his lead paragraph and turning something out every week just got trampled, you know, just trampled by the, just this endless information. And so you're trying to, you're trying to keep up. And I, the way I described it is that it it used to be that the the old line dinosaur critics, and this is again, not, would not just be food. It would be theater, it'd be everything. It would be theater, movies, everything. Uh, It used to be that you would sort of try and explain, show people what to do. And I think now uh, you're more like, um, you know, standing on on the deck of a ship, yelling into the storm. The real old-fashioned critics. I mean, the way the way you, the real distinction is between whether you have an expense account or not, right? Because an expense account allows you to be critical. Yeah. Uh, and many of the early online writers, the early online bloggers, didn't have expense accounts. They couldn't really afford to get into the restaurants they were talking about. Many of them were were were, were given free food and just one free meal, and then they they they'd make their their quote unquote opinions. Uh, based on that, uh, a classic old line critic is allowed to go back again and again. Uh, you know, Pete Wells of the New York Times, God bless him, will go to restaurants for maybe five times. Uh, he will have the authority to criticize uh, grand old restaurants like, say, Pete, Peter Luger's. I don't know if you've read his great Peter Luger's review last year where he trashed Peter Luger's. Oh, goodness. Uh, no. right, right, rightly, in my opinion. And, and so that's what. You know, that classically is what the old line restaurant critic does. The problem is, A, the noise in the world, in, in the world we inhabit, is but there's so many more distractions that your voice is, your voice is diluted, your authority is diluted. But even more importantly, the business of media, the business of newspapers, magazines has just gone off a cliff during that time, during the 20 years that I've been writing about food. And many places can't afford restaurant critics. They can't afford the budget. Yeah. You know, they can't afford to pay for these $400 meal, dollar meals every night. And so you have a few of them still standing. And um, I think when I started writing, there maybe 20, maybe 15, 20 restaurant critics in the city. Now they're, I, I don't know, you can count them on one one hand. Well, this is another great, uh, another great quote, just because your writing is so colorful and <laughs> brutally honest and funny sometimes. You say, in those years after the social media meteor obliterated the old ways of doing almost everything, those of us who'd managed by some divine miracle to survive the waves of magazine shutterings and print media layoffs, not to mention the clickbait food crazes that seemed to sweep over the landscape like biblical plagues every week, were adapting to our new environment the best we could. Right. I love right. this that's my that, Again, yeah, that's my opinion. This, not no, everybody this thinks they're plagues. This, this is, is the me. best line. Wait, let me go on. Yeah. Like figures from a Mad Max movie, we wandered here and there in the bleary post-gourmet twilight, gamely composing top ten listicles of favorite steakhouses and pastrami sandwiches. That seems like it wraps it up in a nutshell. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's sad but true. I mean, it is, you know, I spend a lot of time now, or did. I'm, you know, now currently on furlough, so hopefully I'll return to my job, but you never know. But you spend a lot of time. Uh, composing lit, top 10 lists because that's what gets people's attention. I mean, when when people have the attention, when the readers have the attention, you know, span of a, of a flea, they're going to they're gonna latch on to the top 10 list. They're going to latch <laughs> on top 10 to the latest, well, the latest craze. Letterman like, started they, it. It's all Letterman. We got to thank yeah, him. It's all Letterman. It's all Letterman. <laughs> 
Well, Lame Letterman. You are listening to Adam Platt, the restaurant critic for New York Magazine, among many other great things, uh, a real glutton in nature. So I'm so lucky to be talking to him right now. And you're listening to 89.5 Nantucket's NCK NPR station. And we just have a few more questions to uh, complete the show here. We're talking about the restaurant world and uh, how the food scene has evolved over time. But uh, Adam, why don't you give me your ideas about um, the positive transformations you have seen in the restaurant world since you've started writing um, and the, any initiatives that have, have started um, that have really changed the scene and that may help to change it in the future? Uh, well, you know, the restaurant world, I mean, thanks to this revolution I've been talking about, uh, a, it's much more accessible than, than ever before. I mean, the prices in New York tend to be high, but the style of dining is much more accessible. Uh, New Yorkers love pasta places, they love burger places. So the styles of food that people are appreciating, uh, you know, bowls of ramen, you know, ramen bars, uh, they're much more accessible. And you could name any kind in the last 20 years, and I've said this before, I think I say it in the book, you know, we've, we've experienced the golden age of almost everything, anything you can you, 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 you want to talk about in the food world. It's the golden age of bakeries in New York, the golden age of uh, beer brewing. Right. I mean, New England is now a better, better destination for beer than England or Germany. Uh, golden age of, uh, you know, steaks and uh, Chinese food. Anything you can mention the golden age of, uh, you know, gardening and the perfect tomato, or the perfect carrot. Uh, so it's a, you know, there's, there's a, for, for people who are interested in restaurants and food, there are more choices uh, than ever. Um, and so that's, that's what's happened. And also the, as I say, um, the food world now is front and center. The chefs that you're talking about, say Dan Barber, say Colicchio, say David Chang. Uh, they're also, you know, I, I used to call, I think I wrote a story about how they become sort of philosopher kings, right? They didn't talk about just what they're cooking. Uh, they're concerned about the environment. They're heavily involved in politics. Uh, they're activists. So that's the I positivity. Think this, like they're... I think these are these are all good things. Good. I don't see a lot of negatives. What I see is still a tough business. And as as you as you see in New York with with uh, COVID and the the mom and pop restaurants, it's always restaurants are oh uh, it's always been a brutal business and it's tough. It's it's always been tough to survive. And they're all living on a knife edge. And if something like ha something happens, some some cataclysm, and you talked about the meteor. I mean, this meteor has now hit the New York restaurant world, and you know, the restaurants are all closed, and the bars are closed. And I think they they will gradually open. You know, the, the urge for dining and the energy for for a good meal and the sort of you know the, the obsession with great food has never been greater. I mean, this is one thing that the internet has created. It's created this 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 appetite for more and more and more and more and more. And it's that, that appetite is always going to be there. And, you know, these restaurants will ultimately reopen. Some won't. Others will grow up in their place. And, you know, that world after the meteor of COVID will flourish again. It's just a question of, of how long it takes. I think, I think, I think as I said, I think it'll, it'll, it'll be quicker than, than we realize. But anyway, all of these things have taken place during the, during the time, I'm I'm in no way nostalgic for the for the haughty French restaurant, mm. you know, of, of my of my parents. I, I I love French French cooking. I love the grand French restaurants and the grand French restaurants in New York, the ones that survive. But the the overall landscape is just this great rainbow of of, of uh, 
uh, more and more choices, more and more diversity, and more and more accessibility, uh, I, I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. In this time, we've had a lot of time to reflect and hopefully discover new um, inspirations and out of this, maybe some new innovation will arise in the industry that we can't even fathom could happen, for all we know. With those kind of forward-thinking thoughts, were there places that you visited that were ahead of their time when you look back and say, wow, I, I, di- I didn't know that place was going to be what it was? Um, maybe that mm. could give some uh, some interesting light on how we mm. should be thinking or where how we can take yeah. something and re- reinvent it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, the restaurants that I mentioned, um, Spotted Pig, um, Chang's First Noodle Bar, I, I think I, I write about this in the book. I had no idea they, they take off the way they the way they did, especially you know, Chang's First Restaurant. You know, it seemed to me just like a, a decent place where you get a decent bowl of noodles with a relatively volatile uh, set of cooks behind the bar. And I, I didn't, you know, I had I had no way, you know, the, the phenomenon of that kind of uh the dining that we've talked about accessible but good but also stylish and, and chang is actually a great entrepreneur he thinks he, he comes up with ideas that people uh like and and so he he's in fact he would probably agree with me he's a, he's a better entrepreneur than he's a chef he's like a, he's, a, he's a he's a food entrepreneur so he and he has the talent to sort of move that move his vision forward i had no idea that he had that talent or that that restaurant would would catch the you know, the, the sort of wave that it did, and I think I think what what you know, it, it, so it's hard for me to predict what's what's happening, what what the, the future restaurant is going to be, but I think in that mold, um, you know, there's this whole argument argument. There are many arguments in the food world now, but like the argument, like is it, 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 it the cultural appropriation argument? Are you allowed as a white Caucasian chef who loves Chinese food to cook Chinese food. Are you appropriating that? I mean, I, I personally, being an old fuddy that you think that's, it's ridiculous. You should cook whatever you want. I also think Chang is a model fusion chef. In many ways, he's the, uh, if you, you know who Nobu is, Nobu, you know, the, the great Chinese, Japanese Brazilian chef who started the fancy hybrid style of uh, or yeah, black hot. Su- <laughs> I just always think of black in, hot. In, in the 80s and 90s. And in many ways, Chang is a noble of his day. It's a much simpler day. Right. It's about it's timing, a, it, really. There, you it's, a, it's, it's about timing, and it's about fusion. Mm. And it's about vision. And it's a, there are more and more styles and cultures of dining that are coming into the food, food world all the time. And it's just going to be something like that. It's going to be a combination, a thing that'll catch and the thing that'll move forward same time in the dining world you have these uh great styles of dining which are being uh, dining's too strong words so take barbecue you go to a place like austin or you go to atlanta and the barbecue's never been better you know i'm not a i'm 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 just a guy who likes barbecue i'm not really a barbecue critic but the places where you can get this that style of cooking uh, are just exploding and have never been better, both the old ones and the new one. Um, and different chefs from different backgrounds are cooking all sorts of different things. And it's just, uh, it's always been a melting pot in the U.S., especially in New York. It'll continue to be, you know, once the culture, dining culture is up and running again. And you'll have little miracles here and there. And they're, they're often hard to realize when you're looking at them straight in the face 
uh, you'll realize it a couple of years later or a year later, uh, but they'll still be miracles. Yeah. And I, I can't really tell you what that's going to look like, uh, but I, I, can't? I can tell you, I can tell you that they're going to happen. They are going to happen. And that's what yeah. I want to share today, that uh, miracles will, will happen. The dining world will continue. We will want to continue to go out and eat and be together and discover amazing, tasty, delicious food. Uh, well, Adam, it has been a pleasure beyond um, talking to you and re- having read your book. It was it was really fun, and I really appreciate you being on the show. And if anybody wants to follow Mr. Adam Platt, he um, is Platty Pants on Instagram, which is a great name. <laughs> great, great name. Platty Pants. Yeah, Platty Pants on Instagram and Twitter. Like I think I say in the book that when Twitter happened, you know, I thought it was a joke, so I came up with a joke name. I, I thought it was a joke that I'd never have to deal with ever again, and it turned out that suddenly. Um, you know, platy pants is everywhere. It's great. So for it's better great. or worse, and, and and my editor guy's like, shouldn't I change the stupid name? He goes, no, it's too late. No, it's too uh, late. You're, you you're, 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 you're platy pants. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm at platy pants on Instagram, <laughs> at platy pants on Twitter. Follow me at your peril. And, uh, you know, yeah. you're still a journalist at heart. And I, I love, I love your perspective on, um, not just food, it's how it affects our lives and, and how it plays a, a role in our culture and bringing cultures together. So it's been really a pleasure. And hey, I did have, well, I just had one question. Um, you never talked about tipping. What's your thought on tipping? Uh, I wrote a big story on tipping. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't put it in the book. Um, you know, my thought on tipping is, uh, you know, tipping is, is sadly reflects what we're talking about when we talk like about the knife edge of the business, right? Uh-huh. It's like the, the owners, especially in New York, need tipping. Yeah. Because the because they 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 can't afford really to treat their employees well, right? Right. I mean, they can't afford to give them health insurance. They can't afford. They don't want to pay them, uh, in many cases, a minimum wage. So it's 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 the it's uh, been the law of the land, and it's turned out to be one that's very hard to shake because it's such a a, a low margin business that uh, anybody who's running a restaurant yeah. all the help they can get. And many of the, you know, my, I, this whole, I wrote an article about the tipping and I talked to the experts and the experts said like the, the, the habit is so ingrained in this country that it's not going to stop. Yeah. And Americans seemed, Americans are compelled to tip in Europe. They're not compelled to tip. In fact, if Americans don't tip, they think something's wrong. Yeah. And it, it the, the restaurant folks who led the anti-tipping movement, and there's all sorts of reasons for it. I mean, I'm for the no tipping. I think it's, better but it in, in new york certainly it turned out you know the stuff that people said would happen happened the level of service went down the prices went up was it danny, uh, and, was danny meyer the first one who actually did the well, sort of da- danny's thing? always been leading danny yeah. is the, the the you know he is the uh the, the great moral lighthouse for, yeah. for for the restaurant business uh, certainly not just in new york but all over the place but yeah he yeah. led the he led the crusade yeah. And right now he's the only one who's who's uh, who's still leading it because the other other chefs, the Chang, Clickio, they they all did away with it because it was it was wreaking havoc on their business, not on, not just on their business model, <coughs> but on uh, the workings of, of the restaurants and morale. You know, they couldn't they couldn't keep um, employees. It was, and, and and these guys, you know, these entrepreneurs like 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 Chang, like they came out of the kitchen. And the kitchen has always been, you know, that's where the tip, the conflict started because 
the, the, the kitchen slaves are like, hey, I'm not making what these 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 guys yeah. out on the floor are making. Right, right, right. And you gotta get you gotta spread it evenly. And it turned out that it was easier said than done. I approve of it. It's I'm, I'm against tipping. Yeah, that's I'm, my uh, that's I'm right on record. But it, it's a t- it's a tough it's a tough situation. It's a yeah, tough one. I'm, I'm on the fence. I mean, if you're all sharing a pool system, that's different. But you you need people to have a salary, I think, and benefits, and I think that side of it. Yeah, well, but look at California. Like now, they you have to cal- they can't they can't stay in business. It's tough. It's tough. You know, these restaurants can't stay in business. They're giving they give everybody health benefits, and uh, we're making no money. I got to close. It's tough. Definitely. All right. Well, I won't take any more of your time, but All right. so much fun. And um, Good. thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Camille. Thanks right. a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Anyway, food. Now more than ever, it's a sign of civilization. Without it, uh, you see what you're losing. Jacques Pepin was on the show, I think I told you, uh, last season. And uh, mm-hmm. he said the table is the apex of civilization, which... Well, he's not really, wrong. I really hold true. That's yeah, he's not wrong. And if you don't have it, you don't. You're not civilized to a certain extent. So yeah, he's not wrong. It's the thing. My my parents came from a this. You know, they're New Yorkers. So if you grew up in that city, you're gonna have some sense of uh, restaurants and community, at least more of a sense than most people, certainly in the United States, because obviously New York's even, even, you know, has always been a more cosmopolitan, more European style city. So, so they, they grew up with that sense of, you know, restaurants as community theater and yeah. restaurants as a, you know, as regulars, you know, they yeah. grew up being regulars. And so they were always looking to. And that's such an important part of your life. You don't really realize how special that is. Yeah. Really. Um, I mean, yeah, what was also fun is to have that lens to think how many little places there are in New York, how many people over time and yeah. decades have had these little experiences um, yeah. and the, yeah. their own little bars and places and stories. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful yeah. like fabric. And, the, and it's the sadness of today. You know, that's what that is to say. Yeah, I know. But, you know, I'm, I, I will, I'm, you know, it will grow up again. It's just a question of time. Yeah. You know, the thing about all these little places in Mama, is the fabric of the city, but the people who run them really run them on a sense of obligation and a sense of pleasure and a sense of, you know, it's, it's really a, to a certain extent, a mission. It was inherited, whatever, never made many money. And it's just a question, can they go on? And I think there's going to have to this this group that is going to have to try and reopen again. It's going to be, you know, not all of them are going to do it. They just I can't do it. I don't have the energy. I don't, I'm too old. I just I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But ultimately, I think in the city, certainly in this city, you know, this the 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 the, the love for the European style dining life, which is now spread somewhat, certainly all over the country, is it's strong. I mean, it really is a life force, and I think it will ultimately bubble up again. I think probably sooner than you think, um, you know, sooner than we think. Yeah. And right now we're in the we're in the midst of history, and you can't, you know, it's the fog of history. You can't really see what's going on. Yeah. But, you know, if you walk around the city today, you walk you know, people on the streets, there's traffic, there's the usual semi-bustle, yeah. you know. So the, the life force is strong and, you know, it, it will return one day. We have had a golden age of dining and of food for the last 20 years. We're on pause. 
I see no reason why that's not going to continue ultimately, because the food culture is so much more ingrained in the general popular culture uh, than when I started writing about food 20 years ago. I mean, now food is politics, uh, food is culture, uh, food is a spectator sport, uh, and you can travel anywhere in the U.S. and you can get delicious food anywhere. You know, you don't have to, it's, it, it's decentralized thanks to the social media, thanks to Instagram. You know, in the olden days, chefs used to have to come to the city centers, mostly to New York, to make their reputations. They don't have to do that anymore. They can just, uh, if you're a sort of a, a bravura Chinese chef, you can set up shop in the wilds of the Virginia and, and, and the food culture will find you. And that, you know, those restaurants aren't all shuttered. They're still doing business. And, uh, you know, the, the coronavirus will ultimately drift away. And, uh, you know, the restaurants will, will reopen and the restaurants, restaurant culture will, will, will live again. And I think it's actually probably going to be sooner than we think. Love so that. there's my sound bite. There's my sound bite for that. Love it all. It li literally has been, it, like I, I think I said in the book, it has been the golden age for any kind of food you can mention, right? It's the golden age for picklers. It's the golden age for whiskey makers. It's the golden age for uh, salumi makers. It's the golden age for art artisanal butchers. It's the golden age for food travel. You know, we've just come through this very rich period and there'll be more rich periods it's just a question of how 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 soon uh, it all returns